0: Well, in a moment, I'm going to read from the book of Micah, the, the prophet Micah. We're going to look at chapter one, verses one to nine. Yes, one to nine. But before I do, just a, a few words and then a prayer. A few words to uh, introduce you to the uh, to the, the scripture lesson. How do we respond, or how do you respond to bad news or potentially bad news? How do you respond? respond well, do you take it in, do you uh, assess the situation and then absorb the, uh, the caution and, and uh, integrate it into your life, or do you sort of just shoo it away and, and I'm not going to think about anything bad, I'm only going to be like Pollyanna and think only what is good? Well I hope you're not like the ancient Megarians, who the Athenians said assassinated a messenger who brought them bad news. I hope you don't, aren't somebody who, uh, or a congregation that assassinates a messenger who brings somewhat bad news. Because today's passage from the Old Testament conveys some bad news. It conveys some good news too, but it conveys some bad news. And so I hope you don't, um, you don't shoot the messenger, but that you uh, receive it gladly, receive it for what it is, the Word of God, and that you uh, imbibe it deeply and ponder it uh, carefully and, uh, and seek the Lord's favor and ask the Lord to uh, enlighten our minds. To renew our wills because sometimes the, uh, there is bad news that we have to hear, but it's, it's also the good news that the living God has concern for His people and uh, is bold to declare that good news. And Sometimes it means that the people of God have to hear the warnings. In a moment we'll read from the portion of Micah's chapter 1. In verse 7, God warns Israel of His impending judgment against them. The nation, the nation of Israel, because the nation was guilty of sin. And as God's word is read, I want you to hear what sin God was condemning. The principle that seems to guide Micah is the biblical maxim found in Proverbs 14, beginning at verse 34. This is the biblical maxim. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. A servant who deals wisely has the king's favor, but the king's wrath falls on one who acts shamefully. The idea is that a nation should manifest righteousness. And if a nation doesn't manifest righteousness, there's going to be consequences. Consequences here and now as as the, um, the, the, the nation unravels, but also eternal and infinite consequences because we are dealing with the heavenly God. Who uh, cannot countenance sin, and he takes sin very seriously in individuals, but also in nations. We should fully expect to see and hear, however, the Redeemer in the Old Testament, because Jesus Christ told us that he is present in the Old Testament. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, the risen Christ taught um, Cleopas and his companion as they were traveling to Emmaus, he taught them that he, Christ, was present in every page, in every book of the Bible. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, Christ showed Cleopas and his companion how Scripture revealed the Messiah to God's people. So, just before we read the Word, let's gather in prayer and ask the Lord to bless his, the, the, the Word proclaimed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we... Ask that your Holy Spirit would work upon us, that you would enlighten our minds in the knowledge of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you would continue to refresh our wills, that powerhouse, that headquarters where we make decisions and and, um, map out plans for the future. We pray that our wills would be renewed as well, so that we not only know Jesus Christ, but we embrace Him savingly, rest in Him eternally, and, and follow Him. Diligently in this life and into the next. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Micah chapter 1 beginning at verse 1. We're going to read through to verse 9. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob. And for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute she shall return, or they shall return. For this I will lament and wail, I will go stripped and naked, I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah, it has reached to the very gate of my people, to Jerusalem. This is the word of the living God. It is our only hope. It tells us about the living God, and it shows us His revealed plan. And it, it should give us great hope as we, even in the, uh, the, the stern rebukes that we sometimes receive from, from the word, we should be, we should find this bracing. Now, sometimes the uh, the best kind of talk you can have with somebody is the one where the person tells you the truth about yourself. It's bracing. It's difficult, but it can be so, oh so good because we all have blinders, right? Individually, we have blinders. As a nation, we can have blinders as well. And uh, the Word of God takes those blinders off and uh, and pours the light of truth into our minds that we might be enlightened with the truth. Well, brothers and sisters, are you prepared? Are you prepared? Are you prepared for disaster? Some people love to think about this, and they they prepare in their minds. What if there's gonna be a disaster? What will I do in that case? If there was a personal crisis, or a family crisis, or a national crisis, or a global crisis, would you be prepared to meet the challenges Whatever that challenge may be or challenges may be. Do you have a plan of action? For instance, have you set aside an emergency fund to cover extraordinary uh, costs? Maybe it's in the bank, maybe it's uh, in a sock drawer, but have you set aside some funds for that? Do you have, for instance, a backup generator, uh, a fully stocked pantry, and a robust first aid kits? These are just some of the things that you might Uh, bring into your house in order to be prepared for whatever, the eventualities that might come our way. Do you have a stash of gold and silver? If you're really serious you might have a stash of gold or silver. You know, a little bit of bullion. uh, Gold and silver. And maybe if you're really hardcore you have a cache of defense mechanisms, otherwise known as firearms, in case the whole system goes belly up and you want to defend yourself. I'm not advocating that, I'm just saying that some people, that is part of their their, um, their go-kit, so to speak, they're, they're ready for this, they're prepared. Well, are you prepared? Whatever the items might be, maybe it doesn't include those items, maybe you've got other items, but are you prepared? You may say yes to some, of, to some or all of the items on that list. Maybe you've gone onto YouTube and you've, you've looked at um, prepper stuff and, and you've um, taken some of that in, and, and so you've taken measures to protect yourself. You know, in case of an, an ice storm or whatever, are you prepared? All of these measures that I just listed, all these measures are, uh, only deal with a crisis in the material realm. Right? The food, the bullion, whatever else, those are all things that we can use in the material realm. They're good things, I'm not dis- dismissing them, but they're only good for the material realm. What about a crisis that strikes at the heart of the spiritual and the moral realm. Are you prepared for a spiritual crisis or a moral crisis or a combination of spiritual and moral? They often go hand in hand. Are you prepared for such a crisis? Are you right with God, the living God? And are you walking in his precepts? Are you justified by the righteousness of Christ and not your own righteousness? Or Are you trusting in your own righteousness? You know, I'm a pretty good guy. I think I can make it. You know, I'm going to weather the storm. I'm I'm not the best of persons, but I'm not the worst of persons. And uh, I'll take my lumps and and, uh, I'll just discuss things with God and we'll come to an agreement. We'll have an arrangement. I have the number of people I have talked to who have said, me and God have an agreement. We have an understanding. Oh, no, you don't. At least it's not the God of the Bible that you have an understanding with if you are forsaking His way and taking His Son's name as a cuss word on your lips. You are not right with God. Are you being sanctified by the Holy Spirit as He works out His holiness within you? Are you yielding more and more to the workings of the Holy Spirit within you? Praise the Lord if you are. You know, if you're bearing fruit in keeping with your profession of faith, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness... Faithfulness, gentleness, self control that manifests itself in the believer. If that's working in you, praise the Lord, that is God's work being manifested in you. Are you submitted to God's moral precepts as He reveals them in the Ten Commandments? Not that you're trying to work your way to heaven, or are you? Maybe you are. Maybe you're thinking that that if I just follow the Lord's commandments and do that, if I do what's right, then that will be my entry into heaven. If you're thinking that way, then Beware. That is the way of the legalists. That's the way of the moralists. No one can follow the law perfectly. Well, there was one. He died for the sins of everyone else. Only Jesus is perfectly righteous. An inner righteousness that he had from the very beginning. He was holy, holy, holy. It's on a fool's errand you are on if you believe that you can fulfill God's will by doing his law on your own. After you're born again, Once you're sanctified by the Holy Spirit, once you have new affections, then the law becomes the principles by which we live. It is a delight. Psalm 119 makes all kinds of sense then. You know, the law is a delight to my heart. Yes, it is. Because I'm saved by Christ and His righteousness. But I want to please God, my Father, so I'm going to follow the law in order to please my my Father because I know He loves. He loves the law. It is a reflection of His own nature. And I want to be like Him. I'm not trying to save myself by the law, but I'm trying to show my love to the Lord. Well, are you submitted to God's perfect, good, and holy will? He is your king. He is your Lord. Are you his subject? More importantly, are you his loyal, faithful, obedient subject? In other words, are you prepared? Are you prepared? What is your only hope in this life and the next? I know I'm addressing a, a, a congregation that is primarily Dutch, and so I'm sure that you know the answer to that. But I come from a, um, a Scottish, primarily Scottish church, and, and so we follow the Westminster standard. so I'll ask this question as well. Are you glorifying God in whatever you say and do, and are you enjoying Him forever? What is your only hope, and what are you doing about it? Are you savingly united to Christ, the Lord and Redeemer? Well, in the days of the prophet and the prophets Isaiah and Micah, Israel was facing a major crisis, a major crisis of spiritual and moral import. Israel had been sinning as a nation not only for days or weeks or years or even decades, for centuries. For centuries, Israel had been sinning. And God had patiently called her back to uh, a faithful walk and and Israel kept on ignoring the prophets and their warnings they ignored the the circumstances that uh, that drew people should draw people back natural disasters droughts all of that kind of stuff they would they would repent for a time but then as soon as things were good again they were right back at their bad habits maybe you can identify that with that you know when things are are tough you are close to god when things are hard, you're right there praying, you're fervent, you're a, a real prayer warrior. But as soon as things get easy, you get a bit lazy, you start compromising, you, uh, you backslide. Well, that's Israel. That's a picture of Israel, too. She, was, she loved the world. She loved her own flesh, and she loved other flesh as well. And uh, she was wandering in the wilderness. And Micah comes along, and the other prophets as well. And the prophets say to Israel, be prepared. Be prepared. If you're going to ignore God, if you're going to go your own way, then be prepared. Well, our fair country is also in the midst of a spiritual and moral crisis. A crisis that just didn't manifest itself in the last few days, the last few weeks, or even years, or even decades. It is a crisis that's been going on, brothers and sisters, for a very long time. For a very long time, more than a century, the world has been following its own path, rejected God, going its own way, rejecting the moral standards, rejecting Christ, more and more. What do you hear in the streets? You hear the name of Jesus declared far and wide in the streets, maybe here, but certainly in Woodstock, but it's not out of adoration for the Savior. It's as a cuss word, more and more, it's um, a cuss word on the, the lips of children, on the old on the infirm, the wealthy, the um, the poor, everyone taking the name of the Lord in vain. Our nation has failed morally and spiritually to live according to God's way, to God's truth, and to God's life. Yes, we enjoy many material blessings here in Canada. We are really blessed in this land. No doubt about it. We're on the top 10% in the world. But is that all there is to life? Material blessings. Do you ever find that? Sometimes you think, well, I'm just so blessed. And you focus on the blessings, the material blessings. You're grateful to God, but they can dazzle our eyes. We just get so caught up and so wrapped up in the material blessings that we forget who it is that gives us the blessings. And remember, sometimes the material blessings are not a blessing, really. Oftentimes, material blessings can be a real curse. God can say, okay, if that's, if that's the, 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 your heart's desire, if you want the material blessings, then go for it. Go. Go your own way. Accumulate all those toys, all those material blessings, and see how it works for you. Sometimes the, the material goods are not blessings. Success in the material world, in the material world of here and now, uh, can dazzle us. Is that what counts? Our material blessings. Have we considered our spiritual and moral bearings? Well, I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. I'm sure that this is some, these are concerns that weigh on you as well and keep you up too. What do you think? Uh, is this all there is? And you're fighting against the, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you're doing a valiant job. Well, these words are to encourage you. And if you're someone who has never really fought against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and you're comfortable with your material blessings, then these, this, uh, the word of, of Micah should be a warning to you, a clarion call that you might wake up from your doldrums and, and be alert to the danger you're in because material blessings go only so far and they will be a weight around the neck of the world when the um, the Lord God comes to judge the nations. Well, the structure of our sermon today, this afternoon, uh, there's, there's some major points. The first major point is the important background information. Major point number one, important background information about this passage. To appreciate more fully what's occurring in Micah, we should take a moment to consider the bigger picture. Long ago, When the Lord God Almighty was preparing the nation of Israel to enter the promised land, it was an exciting moment. God was preparing his people, get ready, we're going to go into the promised land that I have promised you. God gave his people very clear instructions, very clear instructions. You may recall that Israel had been held captive in the land of Egypt for several centuries. She entered Egypt um, on a high note, but then over the centuries the Pharaohs forgot Uh, their arrangement with Israel, and and, uh, the Israelites fell into slavery. And that was for many centuries. It was a very hard period of time for the Hebrew people. And uh, it was difficult, not only physically, but spiritually as well. And then God, in his great mercy and grace, as he promised to to Abraham, he brought them to the threshold of the promised land through uh, Moses. While Israel stood at the brink of the promised land, God told the nation exactly what they must do to remain in the Holy Land. If they were to remain in the Holy Land, unmolested by the nations all around them, they must follow God. Love God with all of their heart. um, Occupy um, their mind with thoughts of God and meditations on God. Follow Him and serve Him with delight. All of that. They were to love God. Love Him. And if they didn't love Him, they turned their back on him, then ultimately they would be evicted. And you may recall Joshua's words as he stood at the threshold of the promised land. and He looked at the people. He's preparing them, preparing them for the, the, uh, the moment when they will enter the promised land. And he's preparing them with these words, wonderful words. They're, they're so inspiring. And, and many of you may have memorized a uh, whole or a part of this. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, Joshua addresses the nation. And he says... Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that, you, that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But... But... Says Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the nation did try. I mean, they tried to drive out the people that were there, the Canaanites and the other people. They tried to be faithful and then they got uh, lured away by distractions of the world. Pretty... Things and and, uh, and tasteful things, They, uh, they, they were distracted. They were distracted. A brief review of the book of Micah tells us some of these distractions. Outwardly, the people in Micah's day appeared very righteous. Israel appeared very righteous in Micah's day. But it was a righteousness that was only skin deep. It was a righteousness that was only skin deep. That can sometimes be the church in Canada. The church in Canada can, can appear to the outside world as very righteous. Sometimes that righteousness is only skin deep. You might have felt that in your own life. Sometimes you think, man, I am so shallow in my walk. I wish I were, I were deeper. I wish I, was more, I were more faithful in my walk. You know, you, you love the Lord. You, you know the precepts and, and you're enjoying the ordinances of the Lord. but Sometimes it just feels like you're so shallow. I'm including myself here, too. I'm not picking on you. We can be so shallow in our walk. It's just skin deep. Inwardly, the leaders of the nation had perverted justice. And as a consequence, there was widespread moral rot just under the surface of the nation. Chapter 3, verse 9. Nothing new under the sun, Right? You've got a, a righteous leader who leads the nation, and the nation is righteous. You have an unrighteous leader who leads the nation, and what does the nation do? It follows its leader, it follows the unrighteousness. Why is the land in, in crisis in Israel's day? It's because the leaders had failed spiritually and morally. This is an ironclad rule. If the leader fails, you can be sure that the nation will fail as well. That might explain our circumstances. For instance, some powerful men used violence to seize their neighbor's property. It's hard to believe, but these powerful men were were, um, taking land from other people, and they were doing it because they could, because they had the might to do so. Might is right in some people's twisted minds others used violence to rob from foreigners. There were people that were coming through Israel. And the Israelites, some of them, were hiding um, and waiting and then ambushing the foreigners and stealing their money and beating them out of the country. It's Really wicked, when you think about it. These were guests in their land, and they treated them abominably. And many businessmen resorted to trickery and deceit to increase personal and commercial gain. They weren't interested in the goodness of their name, they were just interested in gaining as much money as possible in as quick a time as possible. So they were uh, operating under really bad business uh, precepts, twisted, stealing from people. They weren't uh, using proper weights and measures, they were uh, gaming the system in their favor. Neighbors no longer trusted each other, and a spirit of strife plagued the families of the nations. It was quite clear the people of God were in serious spiritual and moral crisis. I'm not talking about Canada, although that could could describe what I'm just saying. could describe Canada. I'm talking about ancient Israel in the days of Micah and, and Isaiah. This was the crisis that the people faced. Outwardly, superficially, they were righteous. But inwardly, there was rot. And they knew it. They didn't know how to get out of it. Micah not only exposed the spiritual and moral corruption that prevailed in his day amongst the nation, but he also traced their ills back to its source. He just didn't look at the symptoms and say, these are the symptoms, I'm not sure what the the solution is. Rather, he traced traced it back to the source of the problem. The root of the problem was the lack of truth at the heart of the nation, a lack of love for God. The people no longer love the truth because they no longer love the God who is the truth. You see, the civil magistrates and the religious leaders in in their day were no longer committed to speaking the truth because they were no longer committed to worshiping and serving the living God. You see, the problem was the Old Testament church had failed. it had failed to proclaim and stand on the truth of God's word. That's always the case. The church is to be salt and light. In the Old Testament, a beacon of light and hope to the nations, to the Gentile nations, to teach the Gentiles the truth of God. And in the New Testament era, we're to continue to be salt and light, to point people to Christ, to manifest the love of God in our own lives, and to show forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. If the church doesn't do that, how do we expect the world to know the living God? If we don't proclaim the gospel truth consistently, morning and evening, on the Lord's Day, and if we don't manifest it in our own lives throughout the week, how can we expect the world to know anything about God? The truth must be proclaimed. And the people of God in the Old Testament era had forgotten that because the Old Testament church and its religious leaders had failed morally and spiritually and where the leader goes there goes the people as well in other words Israel was no longer following after God but it was going its own way instead of following the truth they were in hot pursuit of falsehoods now think about Canada think about how we were we weren't a perfectly Christian nation but we were founded on Christian principles a a uh, history teacher, a very um, well-studied history teacher in seminary who said that um, Canada was really, the, in, in principle, a Christian nation at its foundation. I mean, it wasn't perfect. But from sea to shining sea, the dominion of Canada, those are words straight from the scriptures. We were to be a dominion, the dominion of God. That went by the wayside long ago. But we our nation was a ostensibly Christian nation, not perfect, not perfect, but aspiring to be so. How is our nation now? Man, talk, try to um, declare the excellencies of Jesus Christ in the marketplace, the public square—it's shouted down. You might even get slapped, a, a lawsuit. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that uh, it's very challenging. It's Very challenging. I, I often do. Um, evangelistic work, and uh, it's very challenging in the, uh, the public square these days. Major point number two, the divine message. The book of Micah begins with a solemn declaration. A solemn declaration. The word of the Lord came to Micah. The word of the Lord came to Micah. You know, we hear this and we think, oh, that's great, the word of the Lord came to Micah. This should be stunning to us. This, this is wonderful news. Israel was, was in crisis, moral, spiritual crisis. God didn't walk away. God didn't remain silent. God spoke. He revealed himself to Micah, that Micah might be his spokesperson, along with Isaiah and other prophets, to the people. God was still revealing his truth to his people, even though they were in disobedience, and walking their own way. This shows the mercies of God. And his great grace towards his people. You know, while we were still sinners, while we were in disobedience, Christ manifested himself, dying on the cross for us. This is the great God that we worship. This is the great God that we serve. He is so tender to us. Praise the Lord. He never treats us according to our deeds. If he did, we would all be sunk. But God is so gracious. He's so merciful. He remembers His Son. He remembers the shed blood of His Son and His righteousness that covers us. And when we fail, He does not. We might not be trustworthy and true, but God is always so. And the people that He has purposed to save, He will save because He has promised Himself to do so. And He can never change. He can never change. The old prophet, the Old Testament prophets, often employed this phrase, "the word of the Lord." It's a, especially at the beginning of their prophecy, their books of prophecy. This is true of Jeremiah, Hosea, Jonah. They all use the term "the word of the Lord." It should make us tremble, but also stick, um, prick up our ears. What is this that's going to be declared? We want to hear it because it's a message not from this earth. It's a message from heaven. God is speaking. Are we listening? Anyone who's read the Bible is familiar with the phrase, the word of the Lord. We hear it frequently preached from the pulpit, but we must not let familiarity breed contempt. Rather we should be astonished. Every time the Bible declares that it is the word of God, we should say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Think about that. You have probably more than one Bible in your house. You might have a Bible in every room. That's the word of the Lord that you have there. It's dynamite. It is powerful. It is able to convert and to convict, to bring dead sinners to life and to refresh those who are old in the faith and are a little bit jaded, to refresh them. The word is alive. The word is alive. And the Holy Spirit ministers to our spirit, telling us, bearing witness, that this word is God's word. We can trust it. We can rest in it. We can treasure it up in our hearts because it is God's love letter to his people. In the uh, Reformed and Presbyterian world, we're great at working hard, being diligent, systematic theology, some of the greatest systematic theologians in the Christian Church come from the Reformed and Presbyterian world. We knock it out of the park when it comes to systematic theology. We're really good at nailing down doctrine and drawing it out from Scripture. Sometimes we get really uncomfortable when we start talking about the love of God manifesting itself in and through Jesus Christ and how we are to manifest that love in our lives towards others. Brothers and sisters, faith will become sight in the age to come. And we will no longer have faith because we will see Jesus for himself. The love that we have, and the hope, I'll go with hope first, the hope that we have in the return of Jesus will be fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns and ushers us back into heaven. So it will be fulfilled too, but the one virtue that will remain and continue throughout all eternity is love. The love of God manifested in the person of Christ and poured into your heart. If you are a child of God, then the love of God is in your heart. Do you love the living God? Do you love his word? And are you cherishing it and treasuring it up? Applying it to your life, but also applying it to the life of others as well. When you encounter people, do you share the love of God with them? And the best way to share the love of God, really the, the only way to share the love of God ultimately, is the good news, the glad tidings of the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you share it regularly with people? If not, why not? It's the, it's the power unto salvation. It is the way that you were saved. If you are in union with Christ, you heard the word. And you were saved as the Holy Spirit blessed you. That is the way that God manifests himself in this world. This is a dark, dangerous world. It's full of all kinds of decay and all kinds of sordidness. The love of God is the light. And Christ came on a mission of love. A mission of love. He loved his people so much that he died in their place, suffering the burden of the curse that we so richly deserved, but he did it because of love. You must remember that and not forget it. Well, who is this messenger? Micah. Who is Micah? The name Micah was common at that time. In the the days of Micah, there was at least 14 different people who bore that name in the Old Testament. It was a very popular name. And the name is a question. It is literally a question. And the question is, who is like the Lord? That is the, um, Micah is the short form, but it's a question. Who is like the Lord? It's a rhetorical question. Because the answer, the only answer could be, no one. No one is like the Lord. There is no one like the living God. Eternal. Infinite. Infinite unchangeable in his being wisdom power holiness justice goodness and truth he is the triune god one god manifest in three persons father son and holy spirit we sang about it a couple of times in our hymns We should sing about it all the time because we have the truth there aren't many gods out there you know a god for this grove a god for that river a god of money a god of fortune that's all Nonsense. There is one God manifest in three persons. Three persons who have uh, been in infinite glory for all eternity because they have always been. There was never a time when God did not exist. Three persons. And God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit love each other. They love each other. The Father loves the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Son loves the Father and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loves the Father and the Son. Always loving each other perfectly, completely. Think about your own household or households near you. People, moms and dads, children, grandparents, uncles, aunts, do they always love perfectly? No, in this world, sadly, families often don't love perfectly. There's always some Rivalry, bitterness, envy, just uh, looking at a couple of children the other day who were um, fighting with each other because one had a toy and the other one wanted it. They were sister and brother. They were duking it out because they um, they didn't love perfectly. That's why Christ came into the world, to show the love of God to his people. Who is like the Lord? No one. No one is like the Lord. No one at all is like the Lord. And, And Micah manifests that so perfectly. When he looks out and he sees his nation suffering because of their sin, and he hears that God is going to judge the nation unless the nation repents, the first thing that Micah does, he says, I want to help. What can I do? I want to alleviate their distress. I don't want them to be judged, O Lord. How can I bear their sin? We read about it. That's the first thing that Micah did. And he grieves in his heart when he hears that the wound is incurable. It's an incurable wound. No man can cure it. No man except it for Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer. The, the wound that Jerusalem was going to suffer, the wound that Samaria, the capital city in the north, was going to suffer, was incurable by humanly standards. They had made their own bed and they were going to lie in it. And God was going to teach them that the consequence of sin is spiritual death. It's isolation from God. It's not having union with God. It is horrible, horrible, horrible. And Israel needs to learn this lesson keenly so it won't make the mistake again. And Micah is broken in his heart. He doesn't want to see his nation, doesn't want to see his people hurt in this way. And, and it's just, he's not saying that God is, is unjust, it just grieves him. you have been in a situation where you, uh, you love someone and you watch them live their life and you think, brother, what are they doing? You know, the bad decisions, again and again, it's like they're going down the primrose path of dalliance to destruction, the road to perdition. And maybe you've spoken to them. You know, maybe it's somebody in your own family, maybe it's a brother or sister or uh, a son or daughter and you've spoken to them and they just don't want to listen. They go off on their own way pursuing their own dreams and it, it breaks your heart. Or you've got a friend or a coworker who's just making one bad decision after another. Or a neighbor and you want to share the good news of, of Jesus Christ with them. I have a guy who uh, smokes pot from one of those bongs like five times a day. I don't know how he does it. Uh, but that's how he's ameliorating the, the conditions of his life. He's got a lot of things that he regrets. Rather than taking them to the Lord, he's trying to forget them in, uh, you know, in the, in the, uh, with hashish. It's crazy, but that's the way the world works. That's the way the world works. It numbs itself to the truth. And Micah sees this in his own people and he says, Why are they numbing themselves? Why are they ignoring God's message? Why won't they respond? What can I do, Lord? Well, really, there's nothing that Micah can do except deliver the good news, uh, to deliver the warning. But God is the one who has solved the problem of Israel's sin. God is the only one that can solve that problem. He sent his eternal son who lived the perfect life. Who always did what was pleasing to the Lord in thought and in word and in deed. The desires of God's, the Son's heart, of, of Jesus Christ's heart. The desires were always congruent with the Father's will. Imagine that. Christ always only did what pleased the Father. He always only spoke the words that the Father had given him. He only ever did the deeds that God had ordained for him to do. This is why God said three times, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased because he is the obedient one. Obedient even to the point of death. Death on a cross. Dying in the place of his people. Suffering the punishment they so richly deserved. He became the curse as Galatians tells us. He cried out from his heart, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was the God-forsaken one. That could have been us. That should have been us. But God in his mercy knew that we could never save ourselves. And so he sent a Savior in our place to save us from ourselves. And that's what he does for ancient Israel too. He sent a Savior. Now, it was in types and shadows, but the prophets foretold him. We have it way back in Genesis, the Proto-Evangelium. After the fall, what does God do? Does he leave Adam and Eve naked and unattended? No, of course not. He covers them with animal skins, the first sacrifice pointing towards the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then he tells them that there's going to come a day when an offspring from their own loins will crush the head of the serpent and once and for all defeat the world, the flesh, and the devil. God declared that he is the one who will solve the problems of Israel. Old Testament Israel and New Testament Israel. We're New Testament Israel. And you know, brothers and sisters, when we look back on the Bible and we read the description of Old Testament Israel that Micah gives... Boy, does it have a striking resemblance to us today. Trusting in our material wealth. Trusting in our intellectual acumen. Trusting in our pedigree. Trusting in whatever it is. Whatever it is. It's a fool's errand. Whatever we're trusting in that isn't Jesus Christ. And we're just like ancient Israel. And these words from Micah. These words from Micah should ring in our hearts and draw us up short, prick up our ears, and it should alert us. We should be vividly alive to these warnings because our nation is a lot like ancient Israel. And God said to ancient Israel, beware. Beware, because if you keep on going down that path, the path of material blessings. Obsessing about the things of this world. Beware. Beware. God is so good. Because not only does he watch his people and issue warnings, but he gives the word. The only word. And if we were to continue in, in the, uh, the Micah's book, we would see that God intersperses his warnings with great hope. And he points towards himself and says, he basically says, I am your only hope. I am your redeemer. Repent and turn back to me and trust in me. May God grant us the grace, the grace to trust in Christ, to continue to trust in him, to rest in him and his finished work on the cross, which we cannot contribute to, but we can only gladly receive by grace and faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you that he is the great Redeemer, that he is the great Savior, that in him all the iniquities of your people are resolved, that we are cleansed from our moral and spiritual defilement in the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you have your righteousness to our account through Jesus Christ. Father, we gladly receive Christ and all that he offers, all the blessings he offers. And Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that applies all these benefits to us. Lord, you are so good. Father, you are so gracious. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We, we do indeed love you and we want to love you more. And so we pray that you would increase our love Love, increase our love for one another and increase our love for you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.